0: Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi-Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi-Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast.
1: Then, during the 2020 election, We watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered.
0: We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking.
1: Did you hear that? I did. Okay, so that is like our, she's like belongs in the airport. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's like, if she will be arriving in. She didn't get that yeah. job. She didn't get that job. Yeah. So she's like, oh, I guess I'll just do <laughs> be the, the, be the, the Zoom recording for <laughs> yeah.
2: This tape will self destruct. Exactly. In exactly. 30 yeah. seconds. All right. Hello. Hi.
1: Yeah, thank you for being here today.
2: Thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> Let's start with having you introduce yourself. Okay. Hello. My name is Rekha Rajkumar, and I am speaking.
0: Wonderful. Welcome to our podcast. We're so excited to have you here and to hear your story. And I think what's really exciting for me, and I think Kosha shares in this excitement, is that because the three of us are Indian, I'm really looking forward to sort of diving in and seeing like what's similar that our parents brought over and what's different. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I was thinking the same thing earlier today, like you are our first and potentially only Indian. We, we went, we were very careful about not just like getting all our cousins to be yeah, on the podcast right. and having only this voice, you know, like the Indian voice. So um, we both agreed immediately, like Rayco would be awesome. Yeah. And so I was really excited because it really was about like, you know, and we're friends. So I think yeah. that that, you know, is, mm-hmm. is interesting. Cause when we were talking to our siblings, yeah. we're like, well, we know everything about our siblings. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go, Oh my God, I did not know that. What? how did, when did that happen? You know, and, <laughs> I, and things like that. So it's like, yeah. you're, you just end up learning so much more because it's a sure. directed conversation. Yeah. So
0: what is the story you remember hearing from your parents or your family about their journey over to the states and what was that like for them. You know, we always talk about in our family um the one thing that sticks out is $8 in our pocket. You know, they were only allowed to bring $8 over. Um and then there's a whole bunch of lore built around that, but what's what's right. the story that you were told about your parents' immigration to the states?
2: So, I think in some ways it's unique because my dad actually came here to the states to study Almost 10 years before the 1965 Immigration Naturalization Act was passed, he came here as a student in 1957, probably a good 10 to 15 years earlier than probably the parents of a lot of people in our generation. He came here, he studied, he was in the Chicago area. He came and he studied at DePaul and at the University of Illinois for his master's and his PhD. And so even though he wasn't um, the first person to come abroad to study in his family, my grandfather had studied in England for a little bit um, before he had gone back to India. Uh, he was the first person and the only one of his siblings to come here to the States and stay. How many siblings do you have? Does he have- he, he is one of seven. So and the only one of them that came that left India. And never, you know, and I mean, none of them ever left India. So, I mean, he never went back as to live there. So, I think that was a little, that's also probably a little different because you definitely hear about people that come, you know, they settle here for a while and then maybe, you know, they have siblings or, you know, their parents will come. And while, I mean, while he and my mom did, you know, after they got married, they did come back here and settle. And my grandmother later came to live with us for a bit. Um, none of his immediate family of his generation ever came. Not even to visit. So, Wow. Not even to visit. Not even to visit. So he
1: would go back to visit.
2: Yeah. he um, Now he does, you know, he, one of his sisters does come now because, uh, you know, I have, I have cousins, extended family in the area too. But you know, none of his brothers ever managed to make it here huh. to visit him
0: huh. yeah wow yeah that is that is really different because mm-hmm. usually it's that first person that serves as kind of an anchor and right. then uh siblings come over certainly that's what happened in our family with our dad who's one of six and mm-hmm. uh five five siblings are in the states and one is in australia so
1: then what do you know about why your dad came
2: so my dad came because he wanted to study here and he thought that the education that he could get here um, would be, you know, it would it would mean a lot to him. Um he enjoyed science a lot, you know, his PhD is in biochemistry. So he came here study. He knew he didn't want to, you know, he hadn't taken the medicine track in school in India. He took the science track, so um, he wanted to see what he could do with that. So he came here for that and also i I don't know whether also the fact that um he's one of the younger siblings he's the sixth of seven, so maybe that yeah. would also have something to do with the fact that he wasn't necessarily the anchor for yeah. um family to come over because he was one of the younger ones
0: sure and that would that would make it really different if you were if you had you know five siblings that were older than you, your oldest brother or sister is probably well established in their lives, right? Career. Right. Definitely. So that would, that would make a difference. Our, our dad is the oldest son, not the oldest. He has an older sister, but certainly being the older son at the time Mm -hmm. gave you a lot more flexibility to do what you wanted instead of being, you know, restrained at home until you were married. Um, So your dad came over studying. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that then he went back to India to get married.
2: He did. He went back um, to get married, but also um, the, his visa uh, situation was that he, you know, he had to, he was, since he was on the um, visa that required you to leave um, the U S for a certain number of years before you could come back to apply for a green card. Mm. um, He left, went to India. Uh, He and my mom met and got married and then they lived in Europe for two years before coming back. To the states in 1968 live? in Geneva, Switzerland.
0: Wow! Yeah. And what what do you know? Why they decided mm-hmm. to come back to the states and to, instead of just staying in Europe?
2: <laughs> he had gotten a, an offer from and the of read it now. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Say it again. Sorry. Well, I always joke about it. No, I, I I always joke that you know of all the places in the states, he chose one that the where the weather is not conducive to being from a tropical environment. You know, seriously. <laughs> like you couldn't, you couldn't have chosen California, Hawaii, even Florida.
0: He so got, got an offer at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Oh, that's right. Okay. Teaching or doing research? Both. Actually. Ah, yes. Well, I guess so if you teach, teach with a PhD, you have to do research as well. Correct. Did your mom want to come or was she like, I
2: guess I will. Cause you're going. I, I think she had wanted to come. She was. You know, she was ready, and she was she was fine with it. You know, that is maybe for our parents, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and they actually came when they moved to the states. They lived in Oak Park for, wow. yeah, until I was three. You know, when I was born, I was born in Oak. You know, and came home to Oak Park after I was born. And so, we so now it come full circle, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow, what a what a weird little coincidence. So you. Yeah
2: wait, let me go back. So they got married when? 1966. 66. And then they they came back in 1968. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they they
0: lived in Europe from 66 to 68 Mm -hmm. and then they moved back here in 68. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Um, And Oak Park's a great place to live if you are working at UIC because multiple train lines that go right down into that area so it's super easy. That Mm -hmm. makes awesome. So then Did your mom work when you were young or did your mom stay home? And uh, let me take that back and say, did she have outside employment or did she work by taking care of you and the home?
2: So she did have outside employment until I was born. She worked at the university as well in an administrative role. And then once I was born, she was home with me and she did not go back to work until about two years after my sister was born when she wow. took training to become a teacher.
0: Mm-hmm. And she became an elementary school teacher, a middle school teacher, high school teacher?
2: She took the Montessori training and ah. she became a Montessori teacher. And she taught Montessori for 35 years. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, that's, you don't, that's
0: one thing you typically do not hear about is first generation Indian or immigrant Indian women having a career shift after they had children especially mm-hmm. like that either you go back to what you were doing or you never stopped right. doing what you were doing or you just stopped doing yeah mm-hmm. right but mm-hmm. doing this so that's so cool was your mom thinking mm-hmm. being a teacher would be a good way to be able to both have a life outside of the four walls <laughs> of home but also to be flexible and be available for children's needs when needed
2: i think that was maybe part of it. Um, and I have to, I mean, at first, you know, her position was just part-time. So she would only work in the afternoons. So, you know, I would, I, you know, I'd get up, I'd be home, you know, she'd be home with me when I got ready to go off to school. Then probably by lunchtime, she and my sister would go because my sister was, is a little bit younger than me. So she would go and, They were at school in the afternoon. So I was the total 70s latchkey kid, let myself in after school, then she would come home by 4.30 or so. So I think part of it was that. But, you know, honestly, as it is with so many immigrants, it was also financial. Sure. So you can't, you know, it's even in those days, it was not easy to just be on one income. And so... You know, especially yeah. if you wanna be able to sponsor family members mm-hmm. to come here. And um, you know, she had the desire for my grandmother to come and and stay with us for a bit. So I think that was probably part of it too.
0: And I'm assuming by this point you had moved out of Oak Park.
2: Yes. When I was three, we moved up to the northern suburbs. So then we were
1: was that um, for up in time? Highland
2: park. Was it oh no? no. Was that, It was, no, it was, um, I think my parents wanted a house and they were, um, my father's boss at the time lived in Highland park. He told my parents that the schools up there were really good. And so that's what they decided to do. They moved and, um, you know, the commute became a lot longer for my dad. Sure. So, you know, with the one, he would leave the car for my mom. So it was, a. He would, oh. you know, leave by like seven fifteen in the morning, take the bus to the train station, take the train, take the shuttle from the train to the campus, and then repeat the wow. whole thing in the yeah. afternoon.
1: And did your was your sister born in Hill Park or
2: here? yes in Oak Park? No, no
1: Highland. So Park. you moved yep. as an only child. I as was Highland. an only child. Yes, at the time. Mm-hmm. Was that a tough transition having a little sister? Yeah. is the most glorious thing that's ever happened to Rick.
0: This child, this person over here, never knew what it was like to be an only. So of course they think it's amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think I think, you know, local family legend is that I came home from school one day and I told my parents that all of my classmates had a little brother or sister and all I had was a goldfish. And <laughs> I like to joke with my sister that I should have just cut my losses at that point and just Learn to be happy with the goldfish. But that's here we right. Are.
1: <laughs> that's right. Well, the, our family legend is when I was born, I was in the nursery. And um, she was up against the glass. And you were four, right? Almost four. Yeah, just under four. Yeah. And I guess she like was pointed to like me, to this elderly couple next to me, who was probably like they're visiting their grandchild. Yeah. And I was like, that's my sister, you know? And was very proud. Yeah, was and that was like, time. I was hours old. And our joke is like, <laughs> that was the last time that she was real excited to see me <laughs> and point her sister out to people.
2: Yeah, I, I feel and that. Like, I feel that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of like, uh, not with her. Don't know her. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. uh, so, the, so what was it like growing up in Highland Park? I mean, certainly nowadays, the northern suburbs are... Literally like every, I hate to say we used the word overrun. Little ideas, let's cut it out. Okay, let's not use that word. No. But there's, there's a huge Indian oh. community Absolutely. in the Northern Verbs. What was it like when you were growing up there?
2: Well, I can assure you it was not like that when I was growing up. There were they were few and far between, I think. Because honestly, I think, you know, when most of the Indian... Uh, American community was here, it was either down near Devon, what, or out west, right? Oak Brook, Ooh. Downers Grove, the Westmont area, that whole yeah. Western yeah. suburbs was where the Indian community started to grow. There were not a lot of Indians, um, or even people that were discernibly people of color when I was growing huh.
0: up. I mean, it's such a contrast to now. Absolutely. Yeah. Even a contrast, I would say when we were probably 10 or 12, so that would put you around 15 in your middle Mm -hmm. teens, there were so many Indian people in the Northern Mm -hmm. suburbs. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's where everyone was. At least that's what it seemed like to us. Maybe it's because we lived in the middle of, literally in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Right. So it did seem like, oh, everyone's from the Northern suburbs. Maybe that's not true. By the time you were in high school, did it seem like
2: there were more people of, color and particularly of Indian descent sort of starting there were not it's hard to say in high school there were not there were probably I could you know not exaggerating probably count on both hands the number of Indian people there were in my high school throughout my tenure at the school So
0: so that might be a far more recent phenomenon than I'm thinking then
2: I mean, it's, it's entirely possible that far, you know, in other Northern suburbs, there were more, but not, you know, not where we were. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there were definitely more people like non-white people in my high school, part of it due to, you know, there were like our, the elementary school that, and the middle school were predominantly white uh, where I was, but then you know, the other schools that fed in, it was a little more diverse. And then also Fort Sheridan was an active army base at the time when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So the soldiers, kids that lived on base went to high school. And so that the army itself was much more diverse than what you would normally find in Highland Park (laughs) at that time. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. Yeah.
2: Especially because I just imagine
0: like the Northern Berks being like, just the like the land of diversity, but
1: yeah, well, oh, we, not yeah. We, we in Liberty Libertyville. Yeah, and and we lived in Libertyville for like what a year or so? Yeah, something?
0: hot second, yeah, hot
1: second, yeah. But well, I but I guess I don't know like how hard they had to try to yeah. to cultivate an Indian or like a uh, right, community. And did your mm-hmm. parents do that?
2: Did they Did they try to cultivate an Indian community or a like minded community? Uh, I mean, we definitely had community, though, just it was not local. Mm -hmm. And you know how it is, right? When you're, I, I saw this particularly with Indians of our parents' generation, you would think that now you see, like, another brown person or whatever, and you're not so concerned as to, like, where on the map that person is from. Right. But, you know, back then it was like, oh most of the families we were with were other Tamil families or other families from South India or, you know, with the same, you know, they're looking for a community where similar dietary customs, similar religious habits, similar language, you know, language, child raising philosophies, such as they are.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, and even just celebrating holidays, having those same right. ways of celebrating holidays. Correct. Um Did caste ever play into your family's social life? I Certainly for us, I can say that, again, this is where I can show my ignorance on this, which is I'm woefully unaware of how caste plays out in the rest of India. Mm -hmm. Except I know that for Gujaratis, caste is a huge thing. And Mm -hmm. we have been told that not only are we Brahmin, we're Nagar Brahmin. We're supposed to be able to trace our roots back to Alexander the Great. So, for some people of Nagar descent, it is a badge of honor. You wear it like you wear a crown. A crown. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's it's a cover. It's just another way of white supremacy showing up. Mm-hmm. You have Greek. You have Greek roots.
1: Right, and I've thought that before too. Like i thought, we t- we have talked about our caste and our not we're Nagar Brahmins our whole life, and my mom can see like hear about somebody and be like, oh, they're Nagar Brahmin or they're Brahmin, but they're not Nagar, right? And I almost I have thought before, if we weren't Nagar Brahmin, how big of a deal would it have been? Yeah, and how much would they have tried to not talk about it if we weren't of yeah. That highest caste in the highest village. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, how much of it is, it's a big deal because we could wear it as a badge of honor.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think here, especially for people like us and from our parents' generation, it's a big deal because think about it. The people that came here at first had immense caste privilege back home, which yeah. you don't for realize one, when, you're, when you're going through it. That's right. (laughs) And even now, I'm still trying, I'm still making myself aware of the ways that caste plays out here when you think, oh, it shouldn't really matter here. And then you find out more and more how it does matter here, just not in, you know, the ways that you would expect. So I think that even though I I think there are a lot of South Indians that talk about it quite a bit, I didn't necessarily hear it a lot, but it was not, it was, It's just as important in the unspoken ways that you kind of experience Mm -hmm. it, you know, as far as the ceremonies that you have at home or what your, you know, your parents do on certain religious occasions or the food that they eat, right? Brahmins don't eat eggs, you know, Mm -hmm. right? That kind of stuff. So yeah, you still, you notice it, but you, I guess I could say you're just becoming more aware of it as time goes on you know, when you're growing up, you're like, oh, that shouldn't matter. And, you know, you still think it really shouldn't matter, but it, it's all, in all the little ways that it plays out in your life day to day. And it's so funny that you say that about your mom where, you know, she can hear, like she, she hears a person And my parents can do, my mom can do the same thing. She can hear somebody's name and be like, oh, they're from UP or, oh, they're probably, you know, Marwari," or, you know, <laughs> right. something like that. Yeah.
1: Well, then you can also hear in their voice, because like, you know, Ramadan starts, where it starts tomorrow, and mm-hmm. so I'm the only person of any kind of like brown descent on my team, my team for work. And so I'm like, well, make sure that, you know, because we have a lot of, you know, Middle Eastern, Muslim, mm-hmm. Hindu physicians, I'm in pharmaceutical sales. And I said, you know, if you're not sure, I told my team, if you're not sure, then tell me their name and I'll be able to tell you if they're Hindu or if they're uh, Muslim or whatever. And that's just, for us, it's a fact, right? Right. I can just tell you what it is, but when our parents say, oh, they must be, it has either an element of like judgment or like a chest puff out when there's a Nagar Brahmin, you know, you kind of, it's sort of this pride that that kind of comes over them. So when you say like, well, that shouldn't matter. It was, it, it was imprinted on us just from those like very subtle, non-verbal, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. unspoken things.
0: I want to steer back to your story a little bit. Did you go to the temple as a child? Do you, were your parents religiously active? Ours were not. So that is a huge difference. I would love to hear how that, what that was like for you as a child
2: and how that played out in your childhood. Well, we did go to religious stuff pretty regularly not necessarily so much cultural stuff although there was that um, that element too but I think here it's so easy to conflate the cultural and the religious when it comes to India but it's like it can be two completely different things like my parents are very religiously observant but we didn't do a lot of the cultural things like with the Tamil association or anything like that but like you know, yes, we would go and, like, do prayers for, like, Janmashtami or Ganesh Chaturthi or, you know, the big religious events, you know, or there my are, father would... there yeah. are like, three listeners, can you explain <laughs> what um, those are? Oh, sure. So, Janmashtami, that, uh, Krishna Jayanti is, like, Lord Krishna's birthday, who's part of the Hindu pantheon and Ganesh Chaturthi is the same, but for Lord Ganesha, who's um, also, he's a very important deity for Hindus. So it was those kind of things. And, you know, we had like, probably most Indian families do, we had an altar at home and, you know, my, my mom lit a lamp every morning and said her prayers. My parents would both say their prayers. You know, before they left the house every day, my dad's family, they're big Shiva devotees and my grandfather would do Shiva Puja, um, worship of Lord Shiva in his house. And so all of his sons do the same thing. So my dad would do a Shiva Puja every morning before he would leave for work. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, my parents felt that pull towards more of the religious tradition than really some of the other cultural Type festivals. Mm.
1: Did you celebrate
2: yeah. Uh, We did, but in the South, I mean, at least I shouldn't say in the South, but for my parents, it was nothing more than my mom would make some special mm. meal and everybody got new clothes. There wasn't like a big to-do. We didn't really go to any of the Bali parties. And, you know, we don't have the tradition of doing like Ras Garba or anything like that during the period before during Dasara or anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was more like, oh, the Bali, new clothes. Yay, that's it. <laughs> it was like a Happy New Year, right? Yeah, like,
1: yes. It's something you said, something that you observed on the day.
2: But right.
0: That's, that's so interesting. I think Kosh and I would agree that at least while we were living in Streeter, mm-hmm. Our connection to India was largely cultural and almost zero percent religious. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had, you know, an altar at home, and but it was largely static. I would mm-hmm. say my grandmother was much more active, and you know, lighting diyas every morning and and mm-hmm. doing puja, doing the prayers every morning. But my mom, my mom didn't. Uh, my dad actually has gotten. More interested in spirituality and religion as he's gotten older, mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, in his peak working years, he's like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> uh, it was, and, and it became more so when we moved to the Burbs and there was a community that they could yeah. join to be, you know, they they once we moved to Orland Park, my parents became much more active in the Chinmay Mission and and kosha and Shrayu, our younger siblings all. Attended services and lessons, mm-hmm. and you know, all kinds of things, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I barely right. did.
1: And I think that was more of the cultural, social mm. aspect of the Chinmun mm-hmm. Mission, yeah. um, versus us having a, like a religious or spiritual connection yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. We always, I mean, there was always a religiosity or a spirituality. That we talked about, especially when we talked about Shiva or Ganesha, mm-hmm. Krishna, mm-hmm. The, the mythology they wanted us to know. Yeah. But we didn't do like puja. We didn't do, we did puja for major events, right? Mm-hmm. And Or okay. try, try one time, um, stuck his hand in the electric socket, remember? And he like electrocuted himself and he didn't die. And so we like, <laughs> did a puja for that. Like, yeah. To thank yes you know sure. to thank the gods right. for him still being around and yes. and like for weddings and stuff but yeah. that was it was not this like it it was for major events not yeah, yeah. it wasn't so daily we prayer practice.
0: uh-huh but it was much more like oh it's Diwali we're going to do dandiya arrests, and uh-huh. we're going to do garba and we're going to you know it was much more of that several times mm-hmm. a year for mm-hmm. so the longest time it was that was our only connection to Indian culture, really, you know, short of eating Indian food every day at home. One of the things, Coach and I talk about being a uh, sort of landmark memory for us is so we lived in the It culture. It's right, if you've ever been to Starved Rock, it's like 20 minutes outside Starved mm-hmm. Rock, which doesn't seem very far now, but back when, you know, 30 years ago, it seemed like forever.
1: Yeah. Especially <laughs> when, like, we spent, Hours in the car driving up to the suburb. It was two hours. Right. And okay. like all of our aunts and uncles lived in the burbs. In the burbs. So they oh be right. And like we would get up freaking early and we weren't staying overnight. We were yeah. going for dinner, We'd get up at seven, leave at eight, come back at eight, midnight. Ooh. But
0: the thing that Koshin, I remember, is about once every three months we would pile in a car, drive out to Devon, and spend the whole day freaking day stopping. Bitch. Did you have to do that? You were living in Highland Park, so Devon wasn't that far.
2: Devon Did was you- not that far, so uh, I do remember spending some Sunday afternoons there, like after the t- you know after going to the temple or whatever, on the way home, stop in Devon, maybe eat something. Although, I mean, since I'm a little bit older than you guys, growing up, there was not quite the choice for places over oh, there demand. that there is now yeah yeah
0: no I think I think you and I are but we're in the same time period for that to happen maybe. because okay. there was like Patel Brothers and then you would go in there and you would buy like all of your stuff we would buy all of her stuff for three months basically Condor Plaza Condor Plaza, right
2: Condor was where we would go yeah it was a little bit closer for us so it wasn't as much of an ordeal to go you know it's probably only about twenty. Five minutes or so from, yeah, from yes. us. So still a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although I do remember when one of the, when the first South Indian restaurant opened up in Westmont, Shree, mm-hmm. yeah. driving like 45 minutes to Shree, And I just remember being so disappointed because I just kept thinking we could eat this at home. Why are we... <laughs> I- <laughs> Why do I want to try 45 minutes to eat idli when I don't even like idli? <laughs> no, right?
1: We're talking about, you know, we had Gujarati food that our world. Is shot every single night. And even now, I don't, I mean, maybe I think Shailoshi's palate is a little bit different than mine, but I'm not, my palate is not evolved enough for Gujarati food for me to understand like the very subtle, that that having okra on one day is fundamentally different than having potatoes on the next day for you know the vegetable. Everything else is pretty much it's like a template. But it was to my parents it was a totally different meal. So what did I mean what was your meals eat like did you have Indian food every day? Because I mean if we got to if my dad was in a real good mood and my mom was in a real bad mood. So she wanted like that like my mom had to be in a real bad mood Our mom had to be in a real bad mood to not want to cook. And my my dad had to be in a really good mood to be like okay, well, spring for pizza or chinese food, yeah, uh, once every like maybe two weeks or th- okay. like more like um, three weeks, yeah, like once a month basically But so, like it was it was you had to like recognize the perfect moment to ask yeah. for it yeah. so was what was your meal time growing up?
2: we ate Indian food, I wouldn't say it was every day, but it was pretty regularly, I would say it was more. Constant when my the, the times when my grandmother was living with us, then yes, it was probably every day cook? because she did the cooking, because mm. my mom was at work. Yes. Mm. So, and as a parent, I can now appreciate if somebody else is going to cook for me, then I will eat whatever that is. Heck yeah. The fact that I didn't <laughs> have to make it myself, that's a win. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is so, delicious. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Because you mean absolutely because I didn't have to do it. But, you know, my mom, I have to say, was pretty adventurous and willing to try anything new that was vegetarian. So it's because of my mom that we would go out for falafel or we would go and, you know, we would go out for Italian food or she would make enchiladas at home, you know. And I don't know what it is about Indians and enchiladas, but I swear to God, like every, every Indian person I know they think. has an enchilada recipe. Has like, an enchilada and, recipe. And they think that. they've
1: got it down. They're like yes. I have figured out the enchiladas. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I do love
0: enchiladas. If someone else makes them, I hate. It. When if I have to make enchiladas, I'm like we're having tacos. Like <laughs> I am not stuffing and putting things in the oven. No. Like you just have to roll it. Yeah, that's so worse. Awesome. See
1: how it's extra yeah. fussy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I have to
2: say, I I have a kid that won't eat that because it's like too messy and like too much work. And she can't, you know, mindlessly put it in her mouth, like as a finger food while she's watching YouTube.
1: Um, I would like to, I I want two guesses on which child that is. Your first
2: guess doesn't (laughs) count. And uh, This is also the same child that won't eat lasagna for pretty much the same reason. Can you use a fork? But you, Mm -hmm.
1: you can't eat spaghetti with your, it's not a finger food either. Well, wow, okay, right, technically, and this and is the,
2: true. Technically.
1: No, but, <laughs> okay, but let's go back to this enchiladas thing, because actually, I want all of the Indian people to talk about, like to, to comment in the notes and the social media posts, because I want to know about your enchilada stories. Yes. Because you're right, Rika, like we had enchiladas for Mexican. That was our, we had tacos sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we had enchiladas. And I, and do you know? Have you looked at into this at all, or talked about it with anybody else?
2: Well, I, I don't know. There are there are think pieces about this. You know, this phenomena, this affinity that Indians have with like Mexican food, right? Because especially mm-hmm. Indian immigrants here, because similar flavor profiles right. yeah, and spice right,
1: levels. Yeah,
2: spice I, levels. You know, rice, beans, cumin, like.
1: And
2: when what
0: actually reminded me cilantro. So, cilantro, Okay, cilantro. okay sorry, yeah, mm-hmm. all the things all the garlic <laughs> yes peppers right. it actually reminded me so there is a person i follow on Twitter who i told they think we should on for another season a different season his name is Shivam but i follow him too He's a brilliant, isn't he? I think you might follow him too. He I don't yet. He's a pundit and he does he does religious ceremonies and things and he does these really, really great Twitter, I don't know what do you call him, like a, it's just like on threads, tweet, tweet, yeah. tweet, tweet, tweet threads. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. About certain mythology mythological stories, except for he really contextualized them. Yeah. In the in like the present day. So using like modern day slang and things like that and making it seem like, oh, if this happened now, what would it look like? Right. Uh, but he recently did talk about the fact that for Indian immigrants uh, in the 60s and 70s, Mexican food and pizza were the things that they really gravitated to because it tasted so much like what home home was pizza was super customizable. So you could put all this stuff on it. And so much that you could put so many vegetables on it. Right. Right. Onions, green peppers, and you know, jalapenos, pepper. all this stuff that you mm-hmm. jalapenos. That was, yeah, that's
1: good. Mm-hmm. That,
0: and don't forget, and your, your parents may have this too. Certainly our mom is like, and I need a whole container of crushed red pepper for my two slices of pizza. Like,
2: well, we're, yeah, we're too, we're, I mean, you know, we're all Chicagoans native, right? So for my dad, it was Chardonnay, right? <laughs> so but spicy. But spicy. Yes. hmm Right. Yep. So that you could amp, you could amp up the spice
0: level and you could make it vegetarian. Also Absolutely. same with Mexican. Yep. Also, yes. We have,
1: like, our, we have a family friend who, they were very close to um, who cannot handle spice at all. Like pepper is spicy for him. And he is like the butt of jokes. Like they Mm -hmm. they make fun of him because he can't handle spice. That's like, are you really Indian? And things like that. So definitely the, like the use of the cilantro and the jalapenos and the chilies and stuff like that Mm -hmm. was like such a big deal to have those accessible here when they
2: were here. Yeah. Right. It's part of their identity. Yeah. So, I mean, my mom, you know, would cook all of those things. Like she, she had no issue with, trying to make all of those at home, you know, I mean, even soup or, you know, minestrone soup and garlic bread. And
0: What about your partner?
2: Yeah. Um, Well, he grew up eating Indian food every day, very typical South Indian food every day, but he and his siblings have since developed like they, they went the other way, like where now they, even though they enjoy Indian food, they all, can cook a wide variety of mm. different types of food. Um, your parents
1: are both
2: my parents are both vegetarians. My in-laws are both vegetarians. Yeah. Are
1: they, are, are they all still with us? Yes. Okay. Okay. Because uh, our parents, they kind of went opposite, right? She, she, like My mom was vegetarian and now she will eat some fish, shrimp, sometimes chicken. It really depends. If, she pushed. if she's pushed, it's like the doctor's like, you need more protein. And then my dad used to eat everything except beef. Yeah. And now he Mm -hmm. is eating much more vegetarian on his own, Mm -hmm. like his own preferences.
2: I mean, I I will say that my, you know, when my dad first came to this country, it was, he was not, he had to abandon being a vegetarian for a long time in the 1950s. You know, that's, that stuff was not, vegetarian food was not as easy to come by in the, Do you want want spaghetti or do
0: you want bean tacos or bean burritos? Like
1: pizza. I mean, it was.
0: Yeah. Very few (laughs) options.
1: Yeah.
2: So. How about your kids?
1: So you have two girls.
2: mm Mm-hmm. They're pretty flexible. They, uh, they will eat. I have one that enjoys meat much more than the other. mm -hmm. You know, I have one that would be totally happy to be a vegetarian with an occasional foray into fish. And the other one will eat. Is that number one? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. Thought so. mm-hmm. I thought my my peacemaker, then the other one is like, bring on the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Your peacemaker's like, let's not hurt anything.
0: Like that child might be a fruitarian actually. Like we should only eat the things that fall. Yes, right, and exactly. that's just
1: a yes. but the ones that like it has to. No, you can't naturally. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's the just other put
0: nets under trees and see what falls to the ground. And ask exactly. them.
2: And the other one's like,
0: <laughs> and the other one's like, I want to hunt it myself. <laughs> That's right. Have it look me in the eye <laughs> and know that I was the one that killed it, <laughs> and then yeah. it will taste good.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Which I, wanna, I can only yeah. say that because I'm like, I can feel you it. Know, it. I'm you like. Know. like Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I'm taking you down, I want you to know it was me.
2: Mm-hmm. It was me. It, she's like, she's like the Game of Thrones woman. Yeah, tell him it was me.
1: Let's just put it out there that your two number one kids are like best friends. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So really, you and can know each other because of your of our children because yeah. of your your daughter or your, mm-hmm. your children. I also admit that Rick is like 100.
0: What saved me the first year, right? The but I'm saying like you know year. her because yeah, of no, but that like the fact that kid one and kid one, yeah. were friends, yeah. and that, that I was was able to sort of like forge a friendship through our children, and then it's I feel awesome.
1: And then there are a couple of friends where I'm like, oh, I'm really good friends with this person, and I was talking to this person, and she's like, you know, they were my friend, and I was like, no, I know, <laughs> I know. And then one time, I go, I go, oh, you know. I was talking about Greg, and I go, he's our friend. And Shayla, she was like, "No, it, he's my friend, he's my friend." <laughs> and then you became friends with him years after. And so <laughs> I, I went to college. <laughs> oh my god! Right, like, little sisters <laughs> ruin everything, man. Little so
0: you uh, know, I gotta say it's probably my fault because I introduced okay. them. So he came to visit two years ago, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fall right before the pandemic, and then. We went out to dinner, the, I invited Kosha. Then we went and hung out. I didn't
1: at, know well, him from, yeah,
0: I mean just like mm-hmm, around. Yeah, right. Um, but then then we went back and hung mm-hmm. out at Kosha's place and then they just bonded. But I also will say I've learned a lot about myself. And one of the things I like a lot of people have this whole like, I don't like the streams to cross, like I don't like my different pools of people mm-hmm. to come together. You know, I like people have FOMO. Like yeah, right. FOMO. I love it when my different groups of friends come together because I really enjoy my friends being friends with my other friends.
1: Mm-hmm. Because well, that of... is what with me and Rekha too. Yeah. And like I met you and I was like <laughs> I love her, and then <laughs> then there was something during the pandemic because we were outside at Shilshi's house and we both live like yeah. kind of close and Shilshi was saying. Oh, why don't you come over for some, for, for some wine? We'll put the fire on and stuff the fire pit. And she goes, I'm going to invite Rekha. And I was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> and then, because I, I was like fangirling on you, like still so hard. Like she's so cool and she's funny and she's an introvert, but you could tell like she likes like smokers people. And then I became like better friends with you. And I would text you on your own, on my own. And she was just like, you know, you can like make your own friends too. And I was uh, like, that's so hard. You I make, know. Like, You make really good friends, and then I can just, like, get to know them when you've already done the application process.
2: Kosha's the friend that you go to a restaurant with, and she eats half of your meal because it's so much better than what you ordered. She she ordered herself. Also, do you know what's hilarious is
1: if I get a meal at a restaurant, and the person I'm with also gets fries with their meal, like, we both have fries. I have to try that person's fries because I'm like, I have to. I have to see if yours are better. I, I have done that to Brian. I've done that to bats. I've done that to everybody. And I do I graze on other people's Okay. Okay. Grazing on <laughs> people's food is one thing. They're probably cooked in the same pretty. No, I, I, I understand that it's a hundred percent not it, a reasonable it's, thing. It's just your own thing. It's my own thing. Oh. It's like this. I have to I taste it and Brian's like do you want more fries? And I was like, no, I really just want to see if yours are better than mine. And I just like, truly, you know, know that how stupid it is. It's not relevant at all. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about. But it is, it's just me being stupid. Okay. Listen.
2: Okay. I don't know if I can pick up the thread. I'm so Oh my gosh, stressed. that is too <laughs> funny. That thread has unraveled and it's gone. Like, we don't even know where we are anymore. Okay.
1: The whole idea of this podcast was to, like, find connecting threads. And now we, I have taken, I've taken those novelty scissors and just cut through all of the threads. Right. Nice. But then it's also, like, now everything's... So, no, it's empty. It's such a tangled...
2: Oh, my gosh. It's like a big ball of thread. Exactly.
0: That's also been, like, chopped up by novelty
1: scissors. So it's, like, just a big mess. Right. And the cats playing
2: with it. So,
1: yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, we were talking about Vasu, though. And I think, like, or sorry, we're talking about your partner. And I think um, I would really, because a while back we were talking about Indian Matchmaker. So, I'd like to mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, oh, yes. that's, that's a great thread to pick up. Yeah. Because I met my husband in a bar. And um, my parents, like, they set me up with one person. It wasn't for a matchmaker. It was before I we was, was dating Brian. So can you talk about how you met your partner?
2: Yeah. Uh, so it was, I guess, the best way to describe it is an arranged introduction. As far as his family had lived in the Chicago area for a number of years, actually knew my family because they moved in a similar social circle. But then when it was that biodata time for everybody, his parents and my parents had learned that, you know, there was, that I I was single and that he was single. And so we talked on the phone a couple of times. We met in person at a wedding. You know, I remember the conversation being a lot easier than I thought it was going to be for somebody that you didn't really know, other than the fact that maybe you're parents had been like, well, you should really meet this person because he's really tall. And you mentioned that you wanted to. Was that
1: on your your request?
2: Well, I had joked with my dad that because I'm short, that I had wanted my kids to have a chance to grow up to be a semi-normal height. (laughs) And my husband is tall for an Indian guy. And so they had said, okay, you should meet him because he's tall.
1: (laughs) He's tall for an Indian guy. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So
0: just for our listeners who might really not know what biodata is, it's yeah. I, it may be more than India. I cannot attest to that. But certainly in India, biodata is sort of your dating resume, baby, your dating yes. resume. So it says sort of, you know, your name, your age, your education. Right. And your interests and your, you know, sort of it's 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 a front page. To a, you know, it,
1: match.com profile.
2: I was going to say, yeah. it was like your match.com profile before match.com was a thing. Exactly.
1: Do you punch it up, do you like, you, you don't put the stuff about like, if you're short, do you put out short you are? No, no. So you do, tr- you put your best foot
2: forward. Yeah. But but- too, no, I was going to say, you know, it can, it can go in a, in a bunch of different directions. I think based on who's compiling it for you whether you're doing so you it yourself do it. did you do it yourself i did mine myself um, i did mine myself too yeah you did but did your you partner tr- did your partner do
1: it itself no how do you,
2: how can you tell <laughs> there were uh there were a couple of different things <laughs> we'll have You're to, being so we'll have to so
1: careful
2: we'll have to go off the record with
0: some of those oh sure but go ahead yeah. sure there were a couple different things that you noticed
2: and that it was obvious like, um, it wasn't him? Who yes, was writing. Uh, yes, because they spelled his company of employment incorrectly. Uh, okay. <laughs> and um, and then the other it could thing have was him. <laughs> well, yes, right. Except I don't think I don't think he would have spelled Watts and Wyatt as Watts and Wyatt. <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> Crazy you talk. It was up to you. Like you were left. To decide if you wanted
2: to pursue a relationship yeah absolutely I mean I think that that's probably some misconception that a lot of people had back in the day I mean what was so interesting to me I remember is that <clears throat> this was when the whole bachelor franchise had just started to take off and America was like so sucked in to the whole thing yeah on the bachelor and they were willing to to like set any kind of preconceived notions aside and say like, yeah, you know, that guy can date 20 women and then pick somebody, but they're not willing to, they were unwilling to extend that same suspension to like, okay, well, why can't somebody else, you know, say, Oh, here's somebody that you could be a good match with. Right. You know? Well,
0: and I think the point, I think your description of the bio data matchmaking process in India is basically the same as match without match online, right? which is you're instead of relying on a computer algorithm, you're relying on your family's extended network and elders and connections to at minimum introduce people to see if they might be interested. Correct. And it's it's curated a bit, which is like, Oh, well, this person is a doctor and this person's a dentist, so maybe they might make a good match. Mm-hmm. Oh, this person is interested in running and this person is also an athlete, so they might have some common interests rather than just being like randomly people putting together, right? I mean, the, right. algorithm, the AI algorithms are the same, except for that instead of being digital, they're in someone's head. Um, and certainly that was a story with our parents and Mm -hmm. what my parents tried to help me find someone, which is, well, we know someone who knows somebody who might be a good match. Would you be willing to have dinner or coffee with them? And I would say, yeah, of course I would be willing to have coffee with someone. Right. And then where it goes from there is up to the both of you.
2: Sure. But I would also say, and I guess That the things that make that a benefit can also make it a drawback because, oh, you know, well, why didn't you want to meet such and such uncle's son, you know, or if you did meet and then you decided that things weren't working out, well, you know, why, how are we going to be able to talk to them anymore? How can we, that kind of thing, the double-edged sword of that whole thing.
0: Sure. Right. There's a lot of pressure and sometimes it works well and sometimes it works Not so well. I was listening Mm -hmm. to a podcast the other day and someone was saying, you know, in a small town, everyone knows your name and everyone knows your shame. Mm -hmm. Um, and, Mm -hmm. And that's, it's sort of echoing that, which is, you know, in a small community, everyone knows who you are, which has a lot of advantages and everyone knows who you are. So anything that goes wrong Everyone knows about it, which has yep. huge disadvantages, obviously. right? You know, you can't blend into the background. You walk down the street and like everyone's going to be like, oh, psh, 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 on that person as supposed right. to be like in the middle of Chicago, like you walk down the street and like, no one looks at you twice. No one right. even looks at you really. Cause you're just
1: like, you're just one of a hundred thousand other people. I'm going to see today. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. So how, how different was your partner's upbringing than yours? And then when you found that, when you got married, did -hmm. they blend? Did they, how easy was it to blend? I'm not,
0: I would say, I wouldn't ask you to talk about your partner's upbringing. That's for him to tell one. I mean,
2: like how different was it? I mean, I think it was similar in many ways, right? I mean, he, he had you know, siblings, they, you know, his parents had a similar type of immigration story where his dad came here for studies, but, you know, he had actually been born in India and came here as a child. So in, but as a baby, (laughs) um, but, um, you know, they're from a similar part of India. So the, you know, the whole, all of the things that in our parents' eyes would make it a way to be compatible right similar like religious habits dietary customs like even though we don't we don't speak the same uh, language you know the communities are similar enough where it's not an issue so i think both of us were used to kind of trying to navigate between the two cultures and had also kind of gotten tired of trying to be a cultural ambassador in hmm. D- in, in as far as like Trying to bring somebody into Indian culture that was not used to it, it can it it takes a person to do that. And I had come to the realization that I'm not that person. It's a lot of work, and I didn't have it in me. So in that respect, I think it was really kind of comforting to know that there were certain things I wouldn't have to explain about why I'm doing X or like why are we why do we need to do Y? Those kind of things were a given. So. Right.
0: You only have to wrestle with the everyday marriage things about like, can you just put your socks in the hamper or I asked you to pick up this thing? Why couldn't you just remember to pick up the one thing I asked you to pick up? Right. Right. And that's as if that's not hard enough to navigate Mm -hmm. on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis than to add in that layer of, all right, this is about this, or this is why we have to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That can be really, really tiring. I can see that.
2: Right. Right.
0: How so, would you and describe? And
2: I, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I had dated enough by then to know that I just didn't have that in me. Yeah, fair point. Do you think that has
1: anything to do with like how you grew up without having a huge Indian? So, like every friend that you brought home, you had to explain why it smelled like curry in your house and why you couldn't eat steak. And you know,
2: like you've been doing that your whole life. I mean, I think that's probably, that, that's a fair point. And I think that was probably, that is probably a part of it. Um, because when something's such a big part of you, to have to try to almost constantly justify that to somebody else is like mm-hmm. just something you'd, that is not a lot of people can do. Um, and not a lot of people can accept. Like, I think it takes a special person to do it. It also takes a special person on the other side to be able to be like, Yes, I see this about you. I accept that and I can work with it or you know, or maybe I can't work with it, but can we compromise about this? So that's I I think that's a good observation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what do you what do you see about how your children are either adopting or not adopting Mm -hmm. the culture that you came from? Certainly, and we you know, we've been a we have been observing that second generation children are far more rooted in the culture the country that they grew up in not the country that their grandparents basically came from right how are you seeing that play out in your family
2: yeah it's probably very much the same i mean i don't think my kids have quite the feeling other than just normal tween teen where do I belong? They don't feel that I'm trying to straddle two different worlds. I have to be one way here at home. I can be another way when I'm out. They are free to be accepted how they are wherever they are, which is really refreshing. And I have to say, like, uh, and also what's been really great with our kids being friends, Shoshi, is that That was like an organic thing that happened. And if you had told me as a child that I would organically like be able to make friends with somebody that had like a similar background, like without any parental kind of intervention, like, oh, our parents are friends. So that means Mm -hmm. we have to be friends. I wouldn't have known what to do with that. But the fact that our kids found each other like that and they are friends and they can relate to these kind of things that might come up in conversation as they go through life. That's huge. Yes. Huge. Uh,
0: No, that I completely agree, which is, you know, when I was a kid, my sister was the only person I really knew who I could look to and say, do you get what I'm going through? Or Uh you didn't even have to say say that. Right. Right. Um, And in some cases, the answer was no, because we're Uh almost four years apart. So you don't know what I'm going through. I'm the oldest, your second right? Same thing with you and your sister, but you end Mm -hmm. up looking to your sibling to say, I'm not, uh, this is really happening, right? These parents of ours, they're, they're really doing this thing and it's really a problem or it's not, this is a problem for me. Do you get it? And the other person goes, yeah, I totally get it. Right. But I agree. It's been really beautiful to see our two firstborns Mm -hmm. be so closely bonded. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I, I honestly, I'm like, Child, could you please <laughs> just go to bed at a reasonable hour? Because I will leave them, mm-hmm. one person playing Minecraft down here on yep. the phone with the other person who's playing Minecraft at your place. Yep. Yep. I'm just like, Could you just go to bed at a reasonable hour? You have yeah, to go exactly. tomorrow. Like that's right. They're just so constantly in touch with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and they definitely
1: came first. Right? Yeah. But yeah. you guys are friends because of yes, correct. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yep. But it was such a, I totally agree with Rika, it's such a great mm-hmm. gift to mm-hmm. have a friend who's like, oh, you went through this too? Right. But it wasn't something that was forced on you from mm-hmm. the outside. It was something that came up organically because yep. you found yourself in contact with someone and you're like, no, oh, well, one, I really like you. And two, it's mm-hmm. amazing that we've got this similar background mm-hmm. right? and that we get to be, we can be friends. And we can have the shared understanding of what our past
2: was like. Absolutely.
1: I think you, too, also, Shayla, she Mm -hmm. and have your upbringing was similar enough that how you parent is probably pretty similar. And so they don't have to justify, well, I have to go home. I remember I was Mm -hmm. babysitting Shayla; she has two kids, and number one was coming over to your house. Yep. And she was allowed to walk over because you're only about a block and a half away. And I go, what time are you coming home? Because she was going to sleep over, right? Yeah. They were going to sleep over. And I said, I said, what, um, what time are you going to come home? And they said, as, as late as Ray Conti will let me. And so I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, so I don't even have to talk about like, like don't overstay your welcome and stuff because Ray (laughs) Conti is going to be like, you need to go now. And so, (laughs) you know, just that whole thing. And then your firstborn doesn't have to Mm -hmm. go. Oh, my mom says like, you have to go home now or whatever. Yeah. Right. You know, it just like, because I remember growing up, you know, for a sleepover, it was like eight uh, o'clock in the morning. My mom. Oh, like, yeah. Right. Like, you slept. Yeah. Now you're done. What? It, you First of all, you just slept over at someone's house like three months ago. So you have to do it. Yes. Again. Yeah. And then like, okay, you slept. Now it's eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning. We're going to go home. So, yep. you know, just that, that whole thing didn't need to be explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a good time to ask, what are
0: those words from your, like your parents Mm -hmm. and and in your, like your parents' language and Mm -hmm. also your partner's language that have become part of your family dialect, your family language that your kids know, but like everyone, maybe other people be like, huh?
2: I think off the top of my head, I think the biggest one is Kora. Kora means in Tamil. (laughs) I don't actually know if it's, in Canada, also but porta uh, it means like go on get out of here and Uh, you know you can say it when you're like super frustrated with somebody or when they're teasing you know when and when your kid sasses you back you know you know something like that so and now the kids know to say it when I say something that they think is totally like not not cool (laughs) side parts and skinny jeans yeah yeah Yeah, exactly Uh, kind of like go on get like yeah. yes mm-hmm. get over yourself yeah kind of interesting Fascinating. yeah and you use so, it appropriately like you use it where it's supposed to be used I, I mean I think I do but mm-hmm. um, my, my parents might tell you differently so <laughs> I don't know yeah well <laughs> but I don't know that's probably the that's the one that comes to mind off the top of my head But, I mean, I have to say that, you know, one of the big regrets I have is that I don't speak more Tamil. I can understand it fairly well, at least at a conversational level. I don't think I could sit down and watch a whole Tamil movie. But daily conversation, you know, with one if I'm listening to my parents or I can follow along. But I can't speak it for crap. I mean, I I could say I would speak it like a three-year-old, but then that's insulting to actual three-year-olds. So.
0: Well, it is is interesting, you know, and this is, again, another question I'm curious to hear from other people that we're going to talk Mm -hmm. to is that first born, first generation kids often talk about having more language in their parents' native language than Mm -hmm. other children, Mm -hmm. but also there's this thread within that sort of vein of it's very limited. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't read it. I can't write it. And I have conversational skills. Yeah. Like I can, I can talk to my grandmother, but I certainly cannot give a lecture. You can get yourself to the hospital. Right. Right. Uh, You don't know what to say when you're at the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I know how to get to a place, but then like, then that's it.
2: Yeah. I could maybe, maybe ask for the bathroom, order food, that kind of thing. But I probably know at this point, I probably know way more Spanish than I do Mm-hmm. Any well, of my, you know, my heritage language.
0: So, a conversation for another day. How do you learn that much Spanish? But that's a whole nother
1: conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. And did your parents want you to learn? Like, was that
2: something that you kind of pushed back against or were, did they I'm not sure. really hear because your community wasn't there? Well, I think it's both. I, I think, you know, my parents used to make cassette tapes, right, to send to family back home of conversations that they would have with me and I think you know at some point I remember listening to one of those tapes and I was speaking as a two or three year old I was speaking pretty fluent tamil at that point but then I think I was probably also pretty resistant once I started going to school and my parents didn't necessarily force it they might have tried but you know I definitely had friends where you know if they would talk you know their parents would talk to them in their language they were required to answer back in that same language my parents didn't make me I would talk I would answer them in English, and I think after a while it, they might have probably just gave up. And you know, you understand how exhausting it is. I mean, yeah. I can't even get my kids in one language to pick up their socks off the floor, and you are trying <laughs> to tell me I need. You know, you're right. trying to get them to eat enchiladas.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. that's, true. that's true. And I think you know, my parents also say the same. Which is, you know, by the time I was two or three, before I started any preschool, I was very fluent in Gujarati, and then you know once i started preschool it changed right. um, because the vast majority of my language was in english you know i was yes you don't get to speak your home language in preschool when they're teaching it in english and then so my conversational gujarati was limited to my parents and my aunts and uncles and my grandparents and that slowly faded over time mm-hmm. as more as more schooling yeah. and additional children who were also
2: Being schooled in English. Right. Yeah. So Uh, the other thing was too, I mean, you know, I I think there are a lot of families that were able to go back and visit much more often than we were and spend summers in India. And we were never really able to do that just with the way things were, you know, when I went to India for the first time, when I was two to see family, we didn't go back again until I was 10. Wow. So, you know, when you have such a big, Gap. And so it's not like I could spend, you know, we didn't have the chance to spend summers with our aunts and uncles or cousins or whatever, picking up any of the language. And even when my grandmother was living with us, even though my parents would speak to her in Tamil and they would have their conversations in Tamil, she spoke reasonably good English. So yeah. she and I would talk in English.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that does echo sort of our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did go back. Certainly for a while, you know, when, between the ages of me being, say, two and 12,
1: we mm-hmm. went back every other year. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, between me being zero and me being 13, so you were
0: 16. I don't think I went back that last time. I've been an insult. No, did It was that Christmas. Oh, yeah. The one year where I was like, I don't want to go. Yeah. yeah. um. Yeah. But we went back, yeah, we went, we went back every other year, every three, mm-hmm. like, you know, two or three years. My dad's mom did live with us for, mm-hmm. for a, quite a number of years, less so at the beginning and then more often as mm-hmm. she got older. And at the end, she was like almost living exclusively with my parents. But it was much the same, which is, you know, there's a point when you just stop accumulating the language that you don't need to speak. Right. Um. And you're not being forced to learn it. You're not like needing to keep your language skills sharp. And so you just kind of right. stop speaking it. And especially when you can get by with English. Right. I, the one person in, you know, my parents' ex- general extended network was my mom's mom, who does mm-hmm. not speak very much English, is hilarious, as Kosha can attest to. Um, mm-hmm. speaks enough English to be conversational, but certainly is much more comfortable and good, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but, you know, you go back when you're 10 or seven or whatever. And it's like, what are you going to talk to your grandma about besides? What are you school? eating?
2: Have you eaten? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going
0: to eat? And not your health. Right. There's like a whole set of questions at yeah. the beginning, which is like, yeah, like, how are you? How's school? How are your right. friends? And then it's kind of like nothing.
2: Right?
1: We were uh, not in India to visit them. For hours. Yeah, right? no, done. not clearly. We no. Very much for like our parents. So
0: and my right. mom mostly. Yeah. I would even say like my mom than my dad. I Agree. Until I was almost seventeen, all of my mom's family was there, mm-hmm. and my mom had one cousin who was. Those are the people in Libertyville, but her brother and her parents, and they were all still in Amthabad. Um, but mm-hmm. most of my dad's siblings had moved here. And my my grandmother was back and forth a lot. So okay. I'm calling to go see my dad's side of the family. And that was my mom's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Back in the good old days of, you know, rolling power outs and yeah, right. having to use the pump to get your water. And oh, yeah. like
1: screaming into the phone, like when you yeah. called. In oh, yeah. And that my parents or my mom, our mom still screams into the phone like she's trying to actually talk to India through the air.
2: <laughs> like yeah you know,
1: phone technology oh. is getting a lot better. Oh yeah.
2: I remember um my grandmother didn't even have one, right? We had to call her neighbor oh. who had to go across the hall to get my grandmother, you know, to come talk on the phone. And then you have everybody and their cousin eavesdropping on the call from America, right? <laughs> of course.
1: Of course. As if there was something really exciting
0: happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah how are you? We're fine. How are you? It's all the same. Exactly. Right. Well, I only have one more question, but I wanted to just give you an opportunity to sort of like, is there something that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? Is there some story that you really feel like, you know, I really want to talk about this
1: or something about your first generation experience that you feel is like really different or really similar to other. Is there anything that stands out from your growing up and even now as a mom and things like
2: that? I don't know that there's anything that's like super different because I feel like so many immigrants, children of immigrants have like this same kind of story where their kids are trying to navigate the two lives that, you don't realize how big that overlap in the Venn diagram is supposed to be, like, or that there even is one. That's a good visual, Um, yeah. You know, the one thing I think that'll always just stick out is, and as you both probably have also experienced the whole, like, where are you from question, or what kind of name is that Uh question? You know, as somebody that has a name where when you transliterate it, it's does it's not necessarily pronounced the way it's spelled, Rika. But well, what do you think of how the E sound? Ah, uh, what do right? people want to say, Rika, Reka, Oh. Ah, uh, okay. right, short E sound. Sure, yeah. You know that whole. I I mean, I think it, I think it's better now. But it, that those are some of the things where mm-hmm. you just you still kind of have this visceral reaction yeah. to like. The pause before somebody says your name. Or the, the, the substitute teacher pause, I call yeah. it.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Or the. Can I just the, call you? What, what kind of name is that thing where people don't appreciate when I say, actually, it's an American name because I was born in America. Yeah.
1: I you appreciate know.
2: that. So where are you from? Oh, Yeah. I mean, yeah. I always think of that scene in Parks and Rec where Amy Poehler is oh. asking, were talking to Aziz. I'm sorry about that, right? i North But your parents moved from <laughs> before, yeah. North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and before that you were in my mother's uterus. You know that? <laughs> and, I do. I love that scene so
0: much. And it's so telling of right? the kinds of things that immigrants yeah. who don't look like they fit in right so one of our and podcasts I, is going to be with a friend yeah. of mine whose family came from Poland and some of the more personal things we will hear about mm-hmm. are similar but to the outside world it's not at all the same you can right. blend yeah you could
2: blend correct and I have to say that when I hear the where are you from question from From people where maybe English isn't their first language, I I feel like I'm much more forgiving of that question when it comes from people like that, because the subtext to me is like, tell me why you and I are the same. Sure. that's that's a Whereas with with like a native English speaker, I feel like the subtext is, tell me why you're different. That's,
0: uh, you know, I never really put it together that way, but I think you're absolutely, that's exactly how it feels. Tell me why I should accept you. Right. Give me the terms of your, tell me why you, it's okay for you to be here mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you're right from other people from who clearly look
1: not white. Well, we have yeah. someone, you know, she's friend from Poland and I have a friend from the Netherlands and their first generation experience with their immigrant parents came from within the home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, people who are Brown or black or or. Asia like, just that you look different than the hegemony it's like not only do we have to deal with from within the home but then you go outside right and you have to justify everything also yeah. right um and that that's a totally different world to navigate mm-hmm. um and then as you have said a couple of times is balancing the two cultures yeah. and then mm-hmm. the code switch that you right. know you guys are doing an amazing job with your firstborns in uh, in, like not forcing them to code switch, but I definitely did the code switching because we went to Catholic school for years. Mm -hmm. I was to Catholic school for eight years. So that code switch had to happen, you know, as you get on the bus and then you get off the bus. So um, did you find yourself having a code switch a lot or did it sounds like your parents were not as forceful with the Tamil or the Indian culture as as a lot of immigrants
2: were. Yeah, I think part of it is because my father came here when he was so young. He's basically lived in America longer than he ever lived in India. I mean, he came oh. here as a, as a 23-year-old and yeah. then never went back there to live, you know, right? So he is basically grown up here the same way we did in many respects. So it was maybe not as bad, but there is still definitely like the whole feeling of, you know, like I said, not you know, you're like one of the only non-white people in your school or in your community or whatever. Definitely the only one with a name that nobody can pronounce right away. And I don't even know where I was going with that. So never, I'm just like,
0: I I have a a follow-up question. I think that will pull it all together in a really sort of maybe eloquent way. I don't know. I don't know if it's eloquent, but certainly it'll pull it all together. So thinking about names and thinking about the difference between our generation of, of mm-hmm. you know first generation kids and our children and both of our kids have Indian names. Our first generation, mm-hmm. our firstborn kids have Indian names, mm-hmm. and I don't hear at least mine talking about how people butcher their name mm-hmm. or don't know how to say it or deliberately mispronounce it.
1: Or do they? Can I call you?
0: Right. There's there's a great deal of respect for. Either how do you say that or people know how to say it.
2: I, I think, uh, well, so that's great, but both of my kids still get their names mispronounced regularly regular. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they are not at all hesitant to correct and to teach, right? Whereas you kind of, I, I always felt like I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to mm-hmm. cause trouble. I don't want to like correct the teacher or, like, or whatever. Yeah. Right. They're just like, no, that's not how you say it. This is how you say it. The long E, right.
0: Well, (laughs) and to be fair, perhaps my firstborn also gets that. I don't hear it, but -hmm. what I definitely get is, yeah, no, people know how to say it, which Mm -hmm. may be because of teaching moments or maybe because people are more aware, but there's definitely a sense of like on their end, I deserve Mm -hmm. to have my name pronounced correctly. And on the other person's end, There's a seems to be a more respect for pronouncing names correctly Mm -hmm. and recognizing that like you can't just be like, can I call you blah blah, right? I got a lot of like, well, can I just call you Sally?
2: Right. Yeah, I know. So off this is probably off the record, just because I don't know who will be hearing it. But like, so my dad's name, right, Raj. My mom worked like my mom was a teacher. She had a classroom assistant for like ten years, who for the entire ten years thought my dad's name was Roger. And my mom never corrected her,
1: uh-huh.
2: didn't feel like she could correct her. Even though I'm like, she were like, part of me was like, I kind of get that. But then part of me was like, how dumb do you think she feels? Like if she know that she said his name wrong. Yeah.
0: For 10 years. And that you didn't even bother to tell me it was wrong. <laughs> so given that like our generation is the straddling generation and mm-hmm. that the younger, you know, our kids are doing less straddling, but seem to be, comfortable with the aspects of Indian culture that they have, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's certainly, I don't expect my kids to be like, like living up to some ideal that I have in my head of what an Indian child should look like. Right. But I do want them to have parts of the culture that I grew up with that Mm -hmm. I want them to also appreciate. What do you hope that your kids pass on to their kids should that happen from the culture that was passed down to you? Mm -hmm. And what are you like? You know what? If you don't do this, that's fine. Let it go. And I hope no one ever knows about it ever again.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, some of the things like, and we, we touched on this a little bit, right? This, the things that you really like can also be the things that you just wish were not an issue, right? Like I love like the whole community base, like how really like My parents built a community for us where people just constantly show up for each other, right, without even being asked, like, oh, you're having surgery, let me drop off some sambar and rice for you, or, you know, oh, they're out of town, you know, let me help, let me drive you to the doctor if, you know, you can't drive yourself or whatever. And and I would like to try to build that same kind of community for my kids, but then I also don't want the, oh, so, so so-and-so auntie saw you talking to a boy. You know? <laughs> right. and, yeah you know and a community also can be
1: it's advice and a virtue yeah
2: correct.
1: mostly a virtue but those moments that it's advice become
2: hard yeah right so you know I, I would love it if they could if we could help them develop a community like that and if I could show my kids that you show up this is how you show up for your friends and and also you know some respect of the religious um, observances not necessarily that they have to do everything but an understanding of where they come from and why we do certain things because i also think that sometimes our parents just did them without necessarily knowing why they were doing them and then when you would ask they'd be like you know like just yes. just do it like this is just what we do right but some because i said of, so <laughs> mm-hmm. right some understanding of why certain things are the way they are or where those things come from you know so i'm starting to do some of my own research and some of that and maybe i might put a twist on some stories that maybe the other generations don't appreciate older generations may not appreciate
0: is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that we talked about as sort of a closeout i mean literally we could go on for another four hours to talk about whatever yeah yeah
2: I can't think of anything right now. I think this has been a great opportunity, and thanks for giving it to me. Of course. Well, thank you so it's much. It's been a
0: joy. It really <laughs> has been a joy. I think one of the things, Kosh and I, I maybe I feel this like I really deeply feel this, but so far we've talked to people who I know, so that mm-hmm. might be part like who I think of as my friend. So that might be part of it. Which is, I'm just like, I didn't know that about you. Oh, that's amazing, right? You just in the conversation, you mm-hmm. learn so many things about the other person that you wouldn't normally talk about that right. in your day-to-day like right oh
1: my kid yeah right and you know we had a great conversation we had to cut it off Just, i have a feeling we're going to cut off they yeah. have to cut off everybody because like again everyone's stories are so interesting but we had to like stop and then my brother goes um we should do this again you know whether it's for the podcast or not and i was like that's the thing is because it's for this podcast, it's like this directed conversation. But what really affected me was the part where you said, when like, if a Brown person comes up to you and says like, yes. oh, where are you from? They're trying to make you feel the same. How right. can we connect? Yeah. Yep. How are we similar? How are we yep. the same? And then when like a someone from the hegemony comes up and says, where are you from? It, It's, it's othering you, which is really what we're talking about is, you know, othered Americans and, and how those other Americans have formed their own communities. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, just in that example, I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. I think I'm going to use it when I'm trying to explain, you know, and Mm -hmm. so thank you so much. We hope to have you back on and uh, we really appreciate your time and your vulnerability and just like opening up and, and you know, and telling your story, it's fascinating. It really is.
2: Thanks. Thank you guys. This was a great idea. I love, I love that you guys are doing this.